Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And welcome to Big Gay Energy. I'm Bree. I'm Theora. And I'm Caitlin. Come along with us while we dive into the fun and nuances of queer media. Representation matters, and we're here to talk about it. Welcome back, everyone. Um, the BGE team has a very, very special guest today. Everyone, please welcome Eli Cohen. Eli is the author of A Body Hair Experiment, and we're super excited to talk about that today and get to know you better. So thank you. Thank you for talking to us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. Great talking to you. Yeah. Okay. So first question, what inspired The Body Hair Experiment? Wow. So like there's this short version and there's like a long version. But I'll, I'll, I'll start with the shorter version and you'll tell me if you want to go back, right? In time. But um, we there's want it this. All. Yes. Everybody. You want it all straight from the beginning? Yes. All right. Well, I'll, 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 start in, I'll start in the middle and work back. Uh, there's a moment. Yeah, I love it. I love it. There, there's this moment on, like, I'm going to Burning Man for the first time. And, um, well, I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning. Right. So yes. uh, this is like seven years ago. Now, um, at the time, um, I'm married for 27 years at that point. I'm 50 years old. I have three children. And like every day, my routine is to go into my office in Midtown Manhattan. And I was wearing what, basically like Banana Republic uniform every day. You know, I'm wearing a sport coat, button-down shirt, chinos. That's my, that's my look. That's who I am. But I'm also into fiction writing. And so one, one night after I present this short story, it's about these witches in a, um, like, 19th century coal mining town, right? One of my friends at the, at the... You're speaking at the, your language. <laughs> Yeah, well, the main character just like decides to step off the edge of the cliff and tumble down the mine, but she survives every time. And people are eventually, you know, some people want to follow her. Some people are spooked by her. Anyway, a friend of mine tells me in the writing group says, uh, I don't know why something about this story, Eli, you should go to Burning Man. And I'm like, What's Burning Man? Like, this is where I am in my life. I have no idea what it, what it is, right? So she says, Google it. And I Google it. And I'm like, oh, wow, this seems really awesome. I gotta, I, I, I'm really into this idea of uh, radical self-expression, radical, radical self-reliance. I want to go. So I can't get my hands on a ticket. And I'm like trying for months. And the day I give up in my mind, 
an email comes across this Google group that I had that I had signed up for, a ticket's available. And I just happened to be looking at my phone. I answer it. I don't know if it's real, but guy says, meet me in Bed-Stuy. And the guy's name is Splinter, of course, you know. And I get a ticket. And like, <laughs> and I'm not sure if it's really real, but okay, I'm going all in now. And I'm a super organized person. So like my logistics kick in. And I have spreadsheets with, you know, filters and pivot tables and all of that to get everything I need to get out to the desert, you know, because that's like what I do in my, in my professional life, logistics. So I'm knocking things off, one, two, three, four, knocking them all off. And I, I'm going to be alone out there in the desert. I have to bring all everything, including water, right? That does not, mm-hmm. it does not freak me out. But what freaks me out is everybody wears costumes at Burning Man, and I am not a costume person at that time anyway. I was not a costume person. So I'm like, all right, it's the last thing on my list. I got to do it. And I hear of this like after hours sale at Abracadabra, which is uh, like a pretty famous costume shop in, in Manhattan. And it's just for burners. So I go in and, you know, there's like floggers and wigs and, you know, all kinds of great stuff out there. And then downstairs in the basement, like I could hear people. There's like action down in the basement. That's where the sale is. And I start walking down and there's boxes and boxes of costumes. People are like ripping through, going through the racks, super excited. And of course, because it's a burner, burner crowd, like people are getting naked in the, in the aisles and just like trying stuff on, you know? And I'm just walking around. Like, Eli, what do you, what do you want to, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? What do you want to wear? It's like nothing, nothing. I end up like walking out and I'm already feeling like, oh man, you're a failure already at radical self-expression. What did you do? What did you sign up for? Mm, Right? And so I go back to my friend who said, hey, Eli, you should go to Burning Man. And I tell her what happens. She says, forget about all that. You live and you work like right near the garment district in Manhattan. We're going shopping. And so we go shopping and she said, just buy anything that calls, speaks to you. Don't think about a costume. You like that fabric? Buy it. You like that trim? Buy it. You like those buttons? You like that gold thing? Whatever it is, buy it. And we're going to figure it out. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah, so buy it. And, and I do when we buy a whole bunch of stuff. And we go back to a friend's house and I end up like putting together like this sexy wrestler and this Tarzan thing and this like golden pharaoh burner pharaoh thing that's like with gold tights and gold stuff all over the place. And then she takes this like blue fabric. It's a stretchy spandex fabric that like reminds me of like a mermaid and she wraps it around me and she says, you know, go inside to the mirror, take a look, see what you think. So I go inside and I wrap it around myself and I have this purple wig on and I look at myself and as I see like a slit just happened to fall from like my hip 
all the way down to my toe. I see this long slit. And I look in the mirror and I say, who the fuck is this person? I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe what I was looking at. And my first reaction is, I got to get the hair off that leg. I need, that hair has to go. Actually, I want to get the hair off of most of my body. Why? Okay, I don't know. You could, you, you could analyze that yourself. So I go, back to, uh, I go back home, and I tell my wife of 27 years. And uh, the day before, like, I'm headed out to Birdie Man, uh, she, uh, and I, I would say this is like an epic act of love. She walks into the bathroom with me with a bottle of Nair, and she shows me how to Nair my body. And, oh, my God, that was like some experience. And I realized at that moment, like, how hard people work to get the hair off their body, women especially, mostly. Oh, my God. Like I know that this happens. Like I'm not like living in a cave, but I don't have any real experience of what it what it's like. And oh my goodness, it's burning. It's like it smells nasty, nasty. Oh my goodness, and my yeah. nipples are burning. It's like oh. I was gonna ask how it smelled. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Brutal. Oh, it's just almost like burning my nose. And like by the end, there's like hair all over the, all over the walls. It's like a <laughs> hair massacre, you know? It's like hair everywhere. That sounds so, about right. Yeah. Right. Okay. But I had no idea, right? My whole life, I have no yeah. idea. And... And then I look down at my calves. It's my calves, really. And I look at them, my smooth calves, and I am mesmerized. I can't stop looking at my own legs. I couldn't believe they were mine. And like the whole that night, I could hardly sleep on the plane ride, to, you know, with a stopover out to, to Reno. I'm staring at my, my legs. And like, that was really the moment. I didn't know it then, but that was the moment that like gender came calling for me, you know? And uh, like, it was this moment of noticing. And so this is like really where the, the body hair experiment came from. Now that started me on this journey around exploring gender and noticing gender and deciding that I was going to keep one reminder at least on my body every day that I don't need to be stuck in the man box because it's too easy to forget in this world. It's like everybody's playing this huge gender game, like seven, eight billion people, however many people are on this earth. So many are in this like public theater and so it's easy to forget and it's super convincing. And so, so I decided to keep a reminder every day. But, but the body hair experiment was really born in that moment. And, um, you know, many years later, 
I ended up connecting with, with O Zhang and I had no idea how accomplished O was at the time. I didn't know that her works were at the Guggenheim and other museums around the world. Um, and I decided to take the hair off of half of my body from my neck down to my toes on my left side and photograph it and journal about the experience. And, um, you know, when I look at these photos, like especially there's one where my legs are wrapped around each other, one smooth and one hairy, mm -hmm. like those are both my legs. Those are both my legs. And, you know, I think that in this world, it's too easy to, it's too easy to forget how hard we work to create these, I'll say illusions of, illusions of gender in, even though they're real in, in, in the sense that they have real impacts, but they're arbitrary and, um, and I feel like noticing that and breaking it down and making your own choices, for me, it's led to uh, really transform, transformation in my life um, that we could talk about more. Now, you asked one question and I went on for like, 10, 15 minutes. So I want to pause, but like I can. That's could basically how we do. <laughs> 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 we were literally the next question we were going to ask you were, you were on the, you were answering. So we were going to ask like, how, how long have you been on this journey? And like, what's the process been like for you? So you were actually answering our next question beautifully. <laughs> yeah. So it's seven years now. Um, wow. Seven years that I've been on the journey and I, I still have a lot of, um, like there's still a lot of healing that, that I feel I would like to bring to myself around, um, around my connection to so-called masculinity and femininity. And, um, like for those first two years of my journey, I would say little by little, I'm buying more and more from the women's departments, right? And I'm starting to do like, first I start with a manicure or pedicure, I started with clear and then eventually I moved on. Eventually I moved on to uh, like my favorite color, sugar daddy, you know, which is my favorite. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm buying leggings and accessories from the women's department, but really I wasn't buying any dresses. So it's two years in and I'm in the Buffalo Exchange, which is a vintage shop here in, uh, here in New York. And I see this khaki green knit tank dress with spaghetti straps. And I say, I wonder how that, how that would feel to try that on. And I notice right away, like, the, oh, there's these feelings in my, I'm, I'm feeling my, my nerves perk up around like my belly and like, oh, can I do this? And I'm like, of course I could, I know what, I know that in this store, it's totally fine. Everybody's cool. But just bringing it into the, into the dressing room felt like, oh my goodness, this, this feels, this is bringing up a lot. Like why, why should it bring up a lot? It's a fabric. But the truth is, it did. And I decided um, that I wanted to wear it 
at a five rhythms dance thing that I do. Um, I, I've been dancing five rhythms. It's a movement practice. Um, I've also been dancing that for like seven years. And say, I want to wear that. Now, I had worn a dress over those couple of years at costume kind of things. So it wasn't like I hadn't worn a dress, but this was going to be like real life, you know? Um, right. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just showing up and I'm going to wear a dress. And when I went there the first three times, I could not, I couldn't bring myself to put the dress on. And I left without putting it on. But I said, I'm going to be patient. When I'm ready, it's going to happen. The next time I, real, I realized that, like, the hardest part is waiting before the dance, before we, we get into the room to, like, wait in the dress. I want to just, like, get in there straight from the dance. So what I did is I hike up the dress to above my shorts. They're, they're like, they look like gym shorts. They're really underwear, but you know, whatever. And it looks like I'm wearing a pair of shorts and a tank dress, of course, has spaghetti straps. It looks a little whatever. It doesn't look so masculine, but I was okay with it. And then I went into the dance and the music starts and I decide, okay, it's time to let the fabric down. And I let it drop like 14 inches, whatever it is. And it covers, like it's covering more of my body Yet my eyes, they just shut tight. Like almost like I'm a four-year-old or three-year-old, whatever age that is in development, where like you could shut your eyes and you think you're invisible, you know? I shut my eyes tight and I can't open them. And I feel like at any moment, I feel this in my body, but I know in my brain it's not true because the people there are beautiful and loving and, and, and supportive, and it's a beautiful community. But in my body, I feel like at any moment, people are going to start to just start pummeling me, beating the shit out of me, kicking me like when I'm down. And I'm like, where is this feeling coming from? You know, it's not something in the reality of my of my history of my life. I, as a matter of fact, like I can't remember ever wanting to wear a dress. Like I was a very happy regular. They put me in the boy lane. I was like, okay, you put me in the boy lane. I'm totally happy. I'll play ball. You give me a ball, I'll play ball all day long. You know. So, like, where does this come from? And it became like this reminder for me that like when we're asking men to break down the fears of the feminine this is like i don't want to say it's literally trauma but maybe it is because the body like it has such a strong reaction and i had this guy who's uh who dances with us come over to me and afterwards and he says eli I wish I had your balls. This is what he tells me. And this guy is ex-military. And he literally, he worked on the bomb squad. And yet, he's petrified of a piece of fabric. And so, like, that's a paradox of masculinity. Super tough, strong, we're not scared of nothing, right? But, like, the color pink or... 
a floral fabric or whatever it is, a few inches of fabric that covers your body in a certain way. And we are petrified. And so, you know, I've been unwinding my fear of the feminine over these years. And now um, it's five years after that dress thing. And I've come a long way, but I can't say that I that it's like those fears are, are gone completely. Um, I found much more freedom and since then, and my life has changed in many, many ways. Um, but there's still some piece of fear that, um, you know, that I, that I work to overcome around the feminine, the so-called feminine, whatever that means, you know, John, I'm going to pause again because I tend to go on, but, um, Oh no, I, I love this. I love the way you described your journey and really took the time to like, listen to yourself and like, let yourself have those feelings. Like even when they're like strong negative reactions and then question it, like, I think that's so important. Often, like we just blow through our emotions and don't really like take the time to be like, why am I feeling this? And like, so I I love that. And I love that you, you know, you continue, sounds like you continued to do that, like to this present day, which is awesome. It's an amazing Jersey. Thank you for sharing all of that. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to share it. Yeah. But how do you think your life would have been different if you started this journey earlier in life? That's a great, that's a great question. So I, I, I think about that. It comes up quite, quite often. And like sometimes I feel sad that I that I didn't have access to such a wide range of expression and, and what I'll call like a wisdom. Like I th- I've come to think of the of the feminine tradition as like a wisdom tradition that I didn't have access to. Um, it's so hard to imagine how my life would be different. Um, you know, if from the moment I was born, I was given, first I'll say training and access. You need both access and training in both masculine and feminine. Because like, as I, as I'm stepping into um, like accessing the feminine, I realize there's a lot of learning that has to happen. Sometimes I feel like a teenager, like I'm, I'm trying all kinds of different kinds of things and see what works, you know? And I, I feel like I'm mm-hmm. like, I, I've now passed the teenage stage. Like I tried whatever I tried something like, Oh man, those are some really bad fashion choices. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I made those mistakes hey, in try. my fifties. Right. Right. Cause I was learning from the get go and I had no, I had no experience. Um, I think of it like this. Uh, when I was a, when I was a kid, there was this movie called the bad news bears. I think they made a remake of it later on, but I love I'm that thinking, movie. The original is the best. <laughs> you love the original. Okay. So yeah. you know that there's like, there's one girl 
on the team mm-hmm. uh, and the only team she can, you know, she ends up on the bad news bears and she's amazing, right? She's the best player on the team, but you know, that was like in the seventies. Now in the nineties, when I'm teaching my son, I'm taking him to T-ball in the suburbs of New Jersey. We lived in the suburbs for a while. By that time in that 20 year time period, the world changed completely. And there were girls on every field, every weekend, playing baseball, softball, t-ball, whatever it is. And dads, and it was mostly dads, were out there coaching them with joy, coaching their daughters in, in sport. And, you know, men, I think fathers realized we love sports. There are so many great things about it, the competitive, the team parts of it, challenging yourself, overcoming adversity, all the things that people like about sports. So why shouldn't girls have access to that? Now, a lot of girls had the opportunity. Not everybody decided they want to play baseball, but some said, okay, I'll play soccer, and some wanted this. Some people didn't like, some girls didn't want any sports at all, which is all fine, but they had a chance. Right. Me. Now I go into I go in, let's say, for a pedicure or a manicure. And I still see moms bringing their daughters in, their little daughters in for a manicure and pedicure. And they're not bringing their sons. Um, Well, if I tried it, maybe I would have liked it. I would have known that I liked it. Nobody gave me that opportunity. And like the question is, is that important? And I say, yes, it is important. Unless you're looking down and like I probably did for a big part of my life, like looking down on like the importance of, of um, like femininity, like this is important stuff to have an opportunity to decide how you relate to your body and how you express yourself. Um, and boys don't have that. And it impacts our emotional life. Because if we're less connected to our bodies, we're less connected to our emotions. Our emotions run through our bodies. There's no... Oh, she's gone. Bye, Caitlin. <laughs> and she's back. It just means it's been 30 minutes. That's all that means. <laughs> right, right. So, like, how would I be different? I think I would have had a much richer emotional life. I don't know. You know, I think I would have been better at communicating. You know, I can't, I can't, I can't say, I can't say it's a mystery, but on the other hand, it is such an amazing joy to have discovered this in my fifties. And so I feel like so lucky I look around, I walk down the streets, I look at, at uh, the men around me, and sometimes I get a little sad. I feel like they don't have access, and, but, I, but I feel joy for myself that I am lucky enough to have stumbled upon this, this vast opportunity for self-expression and for healing and I think that's really important, like for healing at my 50s and 
Uh, so I, I feel joyful in, in that sense. I'd like to see what the world would be if, you know, if boys had full access to what I'll call both traditions, the masculine tradition and the feminine tradition. And I think we'd have a much better, healthier world. And I hope we're on there. I hope we're taking steps to see that. But it starts from like, from birth or even before, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's a lot of parents are like, yeah, you're never wearing a dress. Like you don't get to choose. Yeah. But I did a lot of part. Yeah, I did a lot of dance growing up and there was very few boys, but then the boys who were actually there, I just admired them so much because they do get teased because dance is a girl thing, especially ballet. And for these boys to still want to do it because they love it, I just wish more people took the chance on it. Yeah, me too. And it's uh, at the same time, I understand Well, I never did. I didn't really dance also till late in life. Um, like I, I understand why boys shy away from it. And there's this big enforcement mechanism um, to keep boys in line. And so we don't we don't do things like dance or try them to see if we would like them. And it's pretty sad, you know, and I think that it starts really from such a young age. I, I became a grandfather in the past six, about six months ago. And so, um, thank you very much. And I see what's happening. Like with my, my granddaughter, they, they don't dress her in pink, you know, and since she's only six months old, she doesn't have a lot of hair. And the assumption is everybody th- thinks she's a boy, you know, since <laughs> she's male. And um, like what that reminds me of is like we're working hard to make sure people like know the gender. Like it's so super important for, for everybody to know, but like, really, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know unless, like, the baby's naked. You, you, don't, you don't know what their sex is anyway, right? And their gender, you know, we'll see, we'll see how that develops. But, you know, we work really hard. And we, it starts from, like, very young. And by the time a boy is, like, four or five years old, he's learned a lot of lessons. And, you know, same thing for girls about what's acceptable and what's not. And I think young boys are really disconnecting from their, they're disconnecting from their bodies and their emotions. That's, that's part of what happens in, in raising boys to be boys. And it's pretty sad, you know, maybe there's some utility and I'm not saying that, um, everything about masculinity is toxic, but I also don't even know what exactly what it means. Really. If you think about like masculine and feminine, 
you know, any examples that people bring. Construct, right? Right, right. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'd like to see, I'd like to see a world where boys are just more connected to the wide possibilities that are, you know, available to us as humans and think of us as humans first and then decide whether you want to be a boy or, or whatever that means. I don't, I, listen, I've, I've like read a lot about gender and sexuality there's so much in the academic world. And in the end, I just say like, I don't know what any of it means. I was like, whatever, I like whatever. That's what I feel like if people describe, you want to describe me? I'm like, whatever. I'm everything that I want to be. And on Monday, I'm different than I want to be on Tuesday. And if I want to wear half my clothes from the feminine, you know, from the women's department one day and half from the men's department, and the next day, all from the men's department, and the day after, all from the women's department. Whatever, it's just whatever. I love that. It's so liberating, <laughs> like you know, versus being trapped. So I have a brother who um, I'll never forget this. He he has that problem with like he's very like comfortable with himself and loves like fashion and stuff, but he's always like men's fashion is so limiting. And he lives in Florida and he's like, you know, for like you were saying, the business attires, like the coat and like the pants. And he's like, women get to wear dresses to work. Like, why can't I wear like shorts or something like something for men that like where I can express myself better. But it's like frustrating. He's like, I feel frustrated. I'm trapped with just like fashion for men is just so rigid. So it's hard to express yourself when like the accessibility thing. I totally get that. It's just I wish I agree with you. I wish men and boys had access to just more more variety to figure out like hey maybe i like this better than that versus like you have to wear this one uniform like all the time when you go to work like it's it's uh, really sad and just yeah mm, you know it is and it's boring as fuck let me tell you go to the men's department yes just walk around it's like <laughs> it's, oh, yes. i want to like take a nap it's so boring so so boring <laughs> Gray so and blue and it's black. It's all the same stuff, too. Gray and black. Same. Oh, you know. And, um, yeah, and I struggle. I struggle. Like, when I'm going to, let's say, I'm not thinking about work because uh, I don't really – I work in my own office by myself. I can wear whatever I want. But, like, if I'm going to a part, you know, a wedding or an engagement or some something mm-hmm. where it requires, like, dressing up, well, the, just the suit thing is just, it's so limiting. It's so boring. And I, yes. I sh- struggle to break out of, of that and feel like I'm still dressing up. You know, I want to feel like I'm dressing up. And, um, yeah, I wouldn't wear a dress, uh, not yet anyway, to, to that kind of a, a party. But I do find that there's a way to, there is a way to express myself that feels like really festive and special, but not locked into the suit thing. So, you know, it takes a lot of work. Um, and it's a lot of fun, I have to say. Like, I, I, I used to like, my wife and I used to fit in like this typical kind of couple thing where like getting ready for a, for a party or something like, okay, we start getting ready. I'm, I'm ready in 15 minutes, you know, 
what is there to do? Throw on my suit and tie, whatever it is, you know? And then I'm like waiting, you know, and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And now we're in like a total different space. Like she's getting ready. I'm like, I'm trying stuff on and like there's the whole pile of clothes like on the bed till, till I get it right, you know? And then, you know, then we're both putting our makeup on. Um, and so like, are you ready? Oh yeah, I'm ready. I, I just want to do one more thing. So if she does one more thing, then like I could do one more thing. You know, <laughs> we just keep, we're, we're just much more in sync now because like the getting ready for a party, it, like that's a fun thing that I never really, I, I never had before. And so, and it also just makes us much more in alignment and time-wise and all of that. So, you know, that's mm-hmm. really nice. I love that. So something that was like a task is now like fun to do. I love that. Right. And we're in sync. I don't sync. think I'll ever like getting ready. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. Your partner sounds great. I love that. <laughs> Me yeah, and mine are like, also... we're the people who get ready in five minutes. <laughs> we're like, yeah, me too. <laughs> we're those people. <laughs> so we're in sync. <laughs> there you go. But I love That's that. That's good. <laughs> you know, oh, I, I don't, yeah. it's, it's, you just reminded me of something that happens to me quite often. And I want to, and I, like, I really want to stop for a minute and, and say something about it. Um, like when my nails are done and they're looking really, really nice, which they're not right now, you know, and then I'll, I'll like, I'll meet a woman and she'll say, oh, I'm sorry. My nails are not, not done. I'm like, what? Like, what, what is, what do you mean? Um, like I remember one time I was in a coffee shop and I just had my, I just, uh, waxed and shaved my legs or something my my legs were really smooth and i noticed this woman looking at my legs and she's looking at my legs and then um so a guy that she was meeting i don't know evidently her partner walks in and the first thing she says and look i i did my legs i did my legs and i'm like what is going on i can't tell you how many times people have like women have like felt like they needed to apologize because like I had done some beauty thing and they didn't. And like, no, it's like totally cool. It's like the, the, like what I'd like to see is everybody to have freedom. And I feel like because women have been carrying the, like the burden of being the subjects of beauty and desire in our society, carrying it exclusively you know men didn't have any access to it and so they get access to that like through the women around them in their lives and that just becomes more of a burden for women that and women can feel like they can never escape this these expectations and i feel like the way to escape this is for men to have access to these beauty practices And if we have it within ourselves, like I've learned, I have this within myself now. Um, And my hope is that it, it creates freedom for everybody around, around me, not to, 
it's not that the expectation is to be, well, if I'm wearing makeup, then the women around me should be wearing makeup. No, everybody should have that choice. And like, I feel like in a neutral society, like where we were really just raising people and with no expectations around, around gender, we'd find that like, I don't know, let's say half, pe- half the people in the world are going to want to wear eyeliner on a regular basis. But you don't know which 50% they're going to be. You know, there's going to be some women that want to wear it sometimes, some women that want to wear it most of the time, some women that don't ever want to wear it. And same thing for men. But it only makes sense that it would be in equal proportions. Like, why should it be anything else? And so... I feel that like my stepping into this space, my hope is that it, it gives women more, it creates that more space for women too, to just like not have that expectation. You don't have to, you don't have to do that thing. You don't have to get, spend an hour getting ready if you don't want. You don't have to shave your leg or trim your underarm hair or, or whatever it is. You don't have to. Um, you know, when we stop looking at these as really gendered practices, as opposed to just something that humans do, I think we're all headed for more freedom. Um, in your book, uh, The Body Hair Experiment, I-, I love that it's a combination of like, kind of these thoughts and like questions for the uh, for the reader paired with these really striking photographs. Um, so I kind of wanted to ask a little bit about the photograph piece and, and what was it like working with Ojang? Um, yeah, well, it was it was really amazing, um, actually, amazing experience. So I'm not somebody who's used to being in front of the camera in that way. And um, like, I felt really vulnerable. Um, Sure. presenting my body this way um like i was i was nude for the for the photo session you don't you don't see nudes in the book but um to get some of the photos uh, that's what was required and um you now i felt super comfortable with oh uh, and i also felt like it was really super collaborative um like she had ideas um I had some other ideas and um, it, it was like, it was so easy. It was really very easy working with her. Uh, um, like there was no drama uh, about it. A very like get it done kind of uh, attitude. Um, and then when the photos, when I saw the photos, I was just so, so pleased. I mean, I, uh, I, I could keep looking at them and, um, it was, it was a great experience. Was it a conscious choice to use black and white photos versus color? Um, yes. In the sense that like we had to, we, we had both options available after the photo shoot, you know, there were, I don't know exactly what her choices were. And I don't really know much about photography, to be honest. But, um, but we, the, the black and white, I, I felt was much more um, 
impactful. Like I feel like we're trying to shine a spotlight on every body part and the choices that we make part by part. And I felt that the black and white uh, really had that that like impact of of bringing a spotlight or like bringing a body part under the microscope uh, in a way that the color you know, felt like it was lacking. Yeah, yeah. I definitely thought that black and white was <laughs> a good choice. <laughs> Me too. It makes you focus on what you want them to focus on rather than like maybe like the color of skin and other things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought it was, I thought it, yeah, I'm happy with the choice uh, as well. And I think it brings a focus to body parts and to the, like for the, for the reader is going to have their own experience. Right. Um, but what I hope to do is give people the opportunity to really notice uh, again, the work that we put into creating the gender, you know, construct and to start to think with intention, you know, what, what choices do I make and how does it impact society at large? You know, you, my prime, like my primary experience has been through like just myself. Like, what does it feel for myself? At the same time, I know that like participating in the, like in the gender norms is perpetuating the gender norms. And so like, that was like my first instinct when I came back from Burning Man was like, I, I need to have at least one point of resistance, at least one. Um, because otherwise gender becomes invisible. So I want people to have that opportunity to think about each body part, to think about not only what they like and what appeals to them, but also to think about how they're participating in society at large and, and whether they, they want to be participating. You know, it's like it's, it could be invisible. And I want to bring awareness to the ways that we are participating in, you know, in gender. And do we want to perpetuate it or do we want to create more freedom? Do we want boys to have more freedom? Do we want girls to have more freedom? Um, and so like, what can each of us do? So like, there's this, the, the different pieces, like there's that personal level. Like I, I kind of think like why, why men haven't thought about trimming their underarm hair is like, one of those things is like a big mystery. Like I was, I was really into basketball for many years, right? And we go to the gym, and like half the guys bringing extra shirts, two shirts, three shirts, we're sweating like crazy, right? Um, like, why did the idea never occur to me to at least trim my underarm hair? Like, what? Why? How did this happen? Like. It, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Some of these things make no sense. Um, some of these choices around body hair actually feel like, even like in a more neutral situation, the choices might be opposite. You know, I, I don't, I don't get that. And I think about so many men, I, 
I used to go through deodorant like crazy, and now it's not. I still like to have underarm hair. I will show you, but I trim it. It used to be much longer, right? And so I don't. I don't use a lot of deodorant anymore, and I smell nice and delicious, you know. So, I, I, you know, I want to bring those questions, bring bring people those opportunities to think about each body part, what they're doing, both for themselves and how it's impacting society. I absolutely love that. And I, I did get that from reading the book where like the questions that are being asked and it's like, huh, what is my role in all of this? Like, I really love that self-reflection yeah. that's in the book. I got so important. So thank you for highlighting that. It's, I think it's time to, for us all to self-reflect on things like that. I personally find shaving mm. so much work <laughs> and exhausting. <laughs> but hey, now you know that about yourself and that's I, a good thing. Right. Right, right, right. We, I don't know why we should carry expectations, you know? And, you know, there are exactly. parts of my body that I like to shave and there's parts that I don't. Like, I still have chest hair. Totally. I still have, there are a lot of places where I like the hair and some places I, I, I know that I don't like the hair, which I didn't know that about myself before. Totally. Um, so we have a couple questions um, that we wanted to ask you that kind of pivot off of the the um, body hair experiment book. Uh, so we saw that you're the founder of Spacious Human. Um, could you tell us a little bit about it and um, your mission with that? Yeah, so um, this all comes out of my story that I've shared here. And my mission is to um, give people the opportunity to examine their hidden beliefs and emotions around masculinity, femininity, and gender. And once people have that opportunity to discover their, you know, their, their feelings around it, uh, they can make their own choices with intention and uh, hopefully find healing and greater opportunities for uh, self-expression and access to all kinds of wisdom. And one of the ways we do it, uh, we create these opportunities to examine the hidden beliefs and emotions, um, is through art. Um, other ways are through, uh, talks and performances. I did this performance called the paradox of masculinity. Um, which I can talk about in a minute, um, books, workshops, those are the kinds of things that we do to give people the opportunity to examine their hidden beliefs and emotions. And what I find is that pe even people who um, spend a lot of time thinking about these things um, realize there's, there's, there's more. And I think there's always more. I'm finding for myself seven years in, there's just always more to discover and examine um, and, and to continue learning. So that's the mission of Spacious Human, to create these opportunities to, for, for examination, self-examination self and, and awareness and, um, and then making choices that lead to uh, more joy in people's lives. So 
That's what it's about. More joy is what the world definitely <laughs> needs for sure. So thank you. It's a wonderful mission, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm happy to be, have found this, um, at this stage of my life. So. Well, we're getting close to our time to end, but we just want to know, do you have any final words for our listeners at home before we wrap up our discussion? Um, well, I'll say this about the book. If you're interested in a body hair experiment, we don't have a, a launch date, a release date yet, expecting it to be within the next couple of months. But you could uh, go on to our, waste, uh, our website, spacioushuman.com, uh, and if you go to the projects page, you'll see one called the body hair experiment and you can punch in your email and we'll let you know when the book is available. Um, you can also uh, sign up for email. I'm back. Okay. You can also <laughs> sign up for, um, for our, you know, sign up on our email list or you can follow us on social media at, at uh, spacious human. You can see me dance, you can see me talk, you can see, see my outfits, you know, you can hear my thoughts, latest thoughts about what's going on, um, fun stuff like that, which I, I'm honestly just learning how to, how to do the whole social media thing, you know. It's a lot. It is a lot. It's, it's a full-time job. And we'll share some stuff on our social media, so of course, <laughs> um, you'll have access to it as well. Uh, we want to see you dance, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well thank you again for taking the time to talk with us today we really appreciate it yes. and love getting to know you better and to everyone at home listening thank you for tuning in and make sure to check out eli's book when it's available and we'll definitely let you know so just follow everybody and <laughs> we'll see you next time yes Bye, thank, everyone. thank you Bye. so much had a wonderful time And with that, we've been Big Gay Energy. If you like this episode, check out all of our other episodes on whatever you're using to listen right now. And please subscribe and like all the things. If you happen to be listening on Apple, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review, no matter how brief. This is what Apple uses in their algorithm to uh, help us gain a wider audience. So please, please, please help us out. Yes, and please feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you about everything and anything. And if we like it, we'll probably give you a shout out on the air. You can find us at all the things Twitter at Big Gay Energy Pod, Tumblr, Big Gay Energy Pod, Instagram, Big Gay Energy Pod, or you can email us at biggayenergypod at gmail.com. Until next time, stay safe and hydrate for lesbian Jesus. <laughs>